This is the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I'm your host today, Delaine England. We're so happy to have you join us. I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Dr. Lyle Mason. We will also be having Utah State Treasurer Marlo Oaks that will be joining us a little bit later, but right now we are delighted to have Dr. Lyle Mason with us. Welcome, Dr. Mason. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I would like to ask you how you're doing today, but I'm thinking I might just skip right past that because (laughs) (laughs) I don't want you to lie and you probably don't want to tell the truth. So (laughs) it's a bit of a rough day, but um, life happens for everybody, right? Yes. Even doctors. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Mason, I want to ask you, you haven't really been extremely politically active in the past, although you've been very aware, very involved and aware of what's going on, very involved in the community. What made you decide to run for the legislature? Well, um, I had talked to a number of people, friends of mine, about the uh, incumbent in District 19, and uh, we'd kind of decided that that running someone against him would be a good idea. And uh, so I, I, of course, was hoping that uh, it would be someone other than myself. I've never really had a, uh, an inkling of wanting to go into politics, but I'm, uh, I'm really interested in politics. And um, when, the, when the time came, uh, no one else was interested in, in running, and so I signed up and... And here we are, and I'm running against the uh, incumbent in District 19. Okay, excellent. Now, the I remember the way the first time that I ever met you. Of course, I've heard of you before. I knew about you, but I hadn't actually met you until we did a press conference together regarding our children, our school children, wearing masks at school. And of course, as a school teacher, of course, I did not feel that it was either moral or right to force children to wear masks during school because children were not at risk and the risk is much smaller than getting in an automobile accident and we weren't telling people to stop driving um, in their cars and it was much lower than cancer or any other disease. Well, not any other disease, but it was very much lower than childhood diseases or or virtually any other form of, of risk for children. And um, also, as a teacher, I really understood the negative consequences, both socially, the social damage that it did, but also in their ability to learn, to communicate, my ability to communicate with them, and my ability to be able to understand students. So I'm, I met you there. So what made you decide that you needed to speak out? What was your stance on that, on children being forced to mask at school? Well, I, I guess I was coming at it. Uh, sort of in your direction, but also from a different 
uh, a different direction as well. <clears throat> and that was that the whole thing didn't make any sense scientifically. There were no studies that showed that the masks, which were typically being forced upon the kids, were effective at all in stopping transmission of COVID-19. And you'd think that would be the first thing you would need in order to institute a program like forced uh, masking of all school kids. But it, that was never done. And, uh, and uh, the only way that you could, could possibly gain any effect would be if they had a personally fitted mask, an N95 type mask, which was then uh, re uh, checked again and again to make sure that it was fitting properly and which the children would never touch. Uh, right. If they touch the mask, then it's worse than having no mask at all. So I just looked at that situation and said, from a scientific standpoint, this doesn't make any sense what we're doing. In Europe, many of the countries there the elected not to mask school children. And as it turns out, their, their rate of infection was exactly the same as ours with the masks. So a pretty good uh, double-blind study to see whether or not the masks are effective. So we know they weren't effective. And then if they're absolutely uh, without any downside, you'd say, well, uh, and some people did say this, well, why not? Why not have them wear a mask? But we, we know that there are uh, definite uh, social uh, interactive problems with masking kids, speech development, uh, trust, because they trust people based on seeing their face at the time they, they communicate with them. All of these things were taking place um, uh, that are the downside of forced masking. So you have a, a significant downside. You have no evidence that, it, that what, what you're trying to do is actually working. And we have double-blind studies that show it didn't work and doesn't work. So I was coming at it from both those directions. Excellent. Well, that was, I was very impressed. When I met you there, I was very impressed with you as a person and then very much with you as a person willing to stand up and, and speak out and jump into the ring and do what was right and to defend our children and to support our children. So we're very grateful because you were very effective at that and you were very helpful in getting our children unmasked at school, which is such a, such a great blessing and such a great help to children. Yeah. So I, as a doctor, I just want to ask you a question really quickly. I want to ask you um, how you feel about having a vaccine registry, a statewide vaccine registry. Now, we do have one, but how do you feel about everybody who performs a vaccine being forced by the state to register every vaccine on that registry? How would you feel about that? Well, I, 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 I have expressed my uh, negative feelings about that for several reasons. First of all, this is privileged medical information, which would be covered by HIPAA. And for us uh, as a populace to bypass that protection and voluntarily give this uh, information to the state, I, I think is a grave mistake. Secondly, you have to wonder what will the state do with that vaccination information and what did they do with vaccination information during the recent COVID-19 pandemic? 
And the answer is they used it to, to take people's jobs away, to close down their businesses, to punish them if they failed to meet the mandate that was uh, put out by the federal government and subsequently by the state that, saying that they had to be vaccinated. And if they weren't vaccinated, they would be punished. In, in some they ended up double taxing people who did not uh, get the, the vaccine. They're, the state can do all kinds of crazy things with vaccination information. We know that they will use it negatively. We know now that they were surreptitiously monitoring people to see if they went in to get a vaccine and, uh, and whether they visited a physician whether they visited a pharmacy, all this information was surreptitiously covered by, uh, by the federal government checking up on people to see what they were doing in regards to COVID-19. So I, I just see nothing but problems with that kind of information being turned over to the state health department and subsequently to the federal government. Okay, that's very interesting. Your opponent did sponsor a bill, HB 117, vaccine reporting. It doesn't require every person to, to give that information, but it would require every single medical professional who administered a vaccine to put that on this state registry. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the, the backside of that is if they know who was vaccinated, <laughs> they know who was not vaccinated. Exactly. If, if that information is required, they, they can look at the information and say, well, your name's not on that list, so you were not vaccinated. And subsequently, they can go after you. That is exactly right. That seems so self-evident to me that if you have a registry of everyone who is, then you also have a registry of everyone who is not. <laughs> that's, that's the obvious thing. That's the, and then what? you know, question that, that nobody answers when they come up with these ideas is, and then what? What information are you really giving them? And you're giving them both. You're giving them who has it and who doesn't have it. That's exactly. And as a history teacher, I can't help but look at it from a historical lens and look back and see where information like that has been used to control people and against people in the past. Absolutely. So and we know now that they the federal government, the state governments will not hesitate to use it. Absolutely. Okay, so what other issues have you, do you feel passionately, do you feel strongly about? What what kind of create for us a little bit of, of difference between you two candidates? You're both doctors yeah. and, um, you know, both really nice people. I will say that. You're extremely nice. I think your opponent is a very nice person. So what what do you think are the differences between the two of you? Well, <clears throat> we, we differ on a lot of, of subjects. Um, in, in the general realm of education, let me just touch on a few. I'm vehemently opposed to CRT in, in, in school curricula. I'm vehemently opposed to sexualization of the curriculum in schools. I'm vehemently in favor of local control of the education and the curriculum. And I'm vehemently in favor of transparency so that parents will know what is being taught 
and so that they have some some idea when problems arise that they can can uh, oppose them if they are opposed to them or at least or support them if they're if they're uh, in favor of it but i want uh, parents to be able to know what is being taught in our in our schools and i think if we have total transparency then it's going to be very difficult for uh, left-wing factions to bring in these crazy things like CRT and sexualization and, and uh, gender dysphoria being taught in, in, from kindergarten on. Um, these are things that, that I think the majority of people are, are against. Uh, there, there are a number of other areas where we, where we disagree. I, I tell people, though, that I'm not really running against my opponent, Dr. Ward. I'm running against, running against his voting record. And, and so I'm trying to get that information out to people. Um, most voters in, in Davis County and in Bountiful are not aware of his voting record over the past eight years. And that information is available. It's, it's, it's public record. And uh, the, his, his, he, he's been evaluated along with other members of the, of the uh, uh, legislature by independent people, uh, Professor Brown at BYU being one, where he's graded as being the second most liberal Republican in the House. I am the polar opposite of that. I, I'm the other end. I'm, I'm presenting myself as the, as the conservative Republican, um, what I would consider the, the mainstream, mainstream Republican uh, option for people in Davis County and in, in Bountiful to fill that, that seat uh, in District 19. And if people want that, I want to make myself available. If people are satisfied having a liberal candidate running, then they'll have to make that decision. But um, anyway, that's where it comes down. We, we differ on just so many issues. Okay. Um, one of the issues that I was really, really big this year was HB 11. It has been, I can't remember the, the number of it last year. It was also a bill last year. And it, last year, the bill clearly stated that biological boys who self-identify as girls are not able to play on girls' sports and that we were not able to get that bill passed and through, um, passed the House handily, but wasn't able to get it through the Senate, not, not because it got voted down, because we just couldn't get leadership to allow it to be voted on. And then uh, this year, we, because of all the political pressure from the leadership of the state, um, the sponsor changed her bill dramatically that it would allow biological boys to play on girls' sports if they passed a commission. It would create a commission, and then the commission would decide if they qualified to play or not. And so I'd love to know where you come down on that particular bill. Yeah. First of all, the idea of having a commission perform biological tests or physical tests on people to determine whether or not they, they would qualify um, to participate as a female without undue advantage has already been covered by a, a federal judge in the Connecticut court. And uh, there was a lawsuit there 
in which the judge stated that such a commission is illegal, that uh, unconstitutional, that uh, if, if on the day of competition, a person um, identified as a female, they must be allowed to, to participate as a female. So first of all, I don't think I, they said they were going to that commission route to avoid lawsuits. I think that was stupid because there already is legal precedent in that regard. The second, the, the, the second thing is I, don't, I can't really comment on whether or not the, this bill was properly handled um, this past year, but it did come kind of down to the, the end of the, of the session. And uh, the, um, the, the commission idea was kind of uh, brushed aside and people had to decide whether to ban uh, biological males from participating as bi against biological females or not. So at that point in time, you were faced with two choices, not three. You didn't have the choice of the commission. So you had the choice of banning or not banning, which is allowing. And my opponent at that point in time elected not to ban and elected to allow. Um, so when it came right down to an either or, he chose to allow biological males to participate and compete against biological females in their interscholastic sports. Subsequently, there was a huge blowback on that issue, uh, especially when the governor uh, vetoed it. Um, and this is like several days after the point in time where my opponent was faced with the either or, and he chose the or to allow them to participate. And then later he decided that that was not a politically advantageous position to be in. And so he voted to override the governor's veto. Um, this is a, a classic case of I, I was against the ban until I was for the ban. That, that type of indecision on a hugely important uh, bill, a hugely important issue, is, is one that uh, you would not see me doing. Uh, you know where I would come down. I, I favored the ban. I still favor the ban. Uh, I had three daughters that played high school and college sports. Title IX is a big deal to us, uh, allowing females to uh, participate in high school and college sports. And uh, I, I see this as just an impediment, if not a, a major critical problem with Title IX. If all of a sudden men, boys, are allowed to compete with girls, with, with women, just because on that day they identify as a female. Very well said. I do think that it is also important to note on that HB 11 with that commission, you're taking children, young people, but biological boys who are already suffering terribly from body identity. They're already suffering from an, a, a crisis in their way they feel about their own bodies. And then you're going to have a commission 
sit there and dissect every single part of their body. That doesn't even seem like a very good idea to do something like that to boys who are already in crisis. It seems like that would be far more damaging. That's exactly what the federal judge decided. He said it was a uh, an invasion of privacy. Yes, and damaging, damaging yes. to someone yeah. that is suffering from gender dysphoria. dysphoria. It's not exactly. going to serve them. Yeah. So, okay, fan- fantastic. Thank you. So, um, have you read the Republican platform because you're running on the Republican ticket? Have you had time to read that? Yes. Yes, I oh. have. So, I, is there? I have to admit, I had not read it previously, and I read through it. Uh, from stem to stern, and I found that there was nothing in that in that uh, platform statement that I disagreed with. So based on that, I felt that I am the prototypical uh, Utah state Republican because I believe all the things that are stated in that platform. So you would be basically saying that your voting record will be aligned with the platform of the party that you would be representing. Absolutely. And furthermore, every every issue, every bill would be looked at from a constitutional basis. Is this a constitutional action that we're taking? Is, is, is this a, a constitutional need for this action to be taken? Um, and everything has to be looked through the lens of that constitutionality. If we stray from that significantly, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And on a, certainly on a federal level and to a lesser extent at the state level, we are doing that every day. We're, we're straying away from the constitutional confines, stepping over the line and finding that we get ourselves in, tr- into trouble. If we stay within the confines that the constitution sets, we will be okay. But the second we we depart from that, we're asking for trouble. That is such good advice, Dr. Mason. The Constitution has produced the most free nation and the most prosperous nation in the world. And as long as we've adhered to those principles, we've done very well. And once we leave those principles, we find we end up in crisis. We end up having lots of problems. So that's really great advice. So yeah, yeah. We, we're running short on time, but um, before we take a break, I wanted to ask you, where do you stand on government spending? I don't know if you've had a chance to look at how much money that the legislature has been spending lately, but where do you spend on the, what's your take on government spending? Well, once again, uh, coming back to the constitutional issue, the kind of our federal system, the, the one way we have of controlling the power of government is to control the amount of money that they have. If we can, if we control the purse strings, then we can control, to a certain extent, government power and what direction they're going. If 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 the government, um, if the legislature has unlimited funds, they are. Dr. Mason, I hate yeah. to interrupt you, but we need to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to hear the end of that answer. That's Thank fine. You. That's fine.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. We're so happy to have you join us. We just want to remind you that Liberty Moms are the original Secretaries of Defense, and we are the real defenders of the home front. And we are so happy to have with us Dr. Lyle Mason. And we were just talking about government spending, and I'm sorry that we had to interrupt you there, Dr. Mason, but if you would finish what you were saying about what happens when the government gets so much money. Yeah, the, the, the real advantage uh, in, in states, of course, is that they do not have the ability to spend more than they take in. They don't have the ability to print money the way the federal government has been doing to support everything that, that they're doing. Um, but nevertheless, uh, the legislature has the responsibility of monitoring how much money is being spent and where it's being spent. And we need to look at this as a, a closed uh, basket of money. Uh, not that we can just willy-nilly pass new taxes or adapt taxes to, to bring in more, uh, more money, and, and that if that money is then brought in, then that opens up a million different options for the state government to spend that money. So once again, I think we look at the state constitution and the federal constitution, we look at what the, what the, the constitution allows us to do, encourages us to do, and we should know the powers that the state government is supposed to have. And any uh, powers that are not specifically assigned to the state actually belong to the county and to the municipalities and to the people. And so we need to make sure that the just like the federal government has grabbed power from the states, and in many cases the states have willingly gone along, that we need to make sure that the state doesn't grab powers of taxation and taking money out of our pockets so that they can do these grandiose programs that, that uh, there seems to be no shortage of. Uh, and uh, we need to make sure that that power resides with the localities and with the people. Okay, very well said. That is wonderful. Do you have, we're, we're running short on time, so I just want to give you a chance. Did you have anything you want to, wrapping up comments that you want to make before we go? Well, uh, I just state again, I am the the Republican conservative option for the people of District 19. I consider myself a Reagan Republican. That I do, do not consider myself a radical Republican. Uh, I'm not a, a divisive person in my in my approach, but I am a conservative. And if the people of of Davis County and and Bountiful want a conservative voice in the legislature. I am that option. If they're if they're satisfied with a liberal approach, then that is what they've got now, and they can continue in that direction. I'm leaving that to the to the voters to decide which they prefer. Okay, so Lyle, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more, talk to you, send probably, you money? Probably the easiest way is through the website, which is somewhat complex. So you want, might want to write this down. It is lylemason.com <laughs> yeah it's hard to remember it's hard to remember <laughs> so uh anyway most of the information you can find there you can find my phone number 
if you have a question, call me. Uh, I think you can see I don't have any problem talking, so <laughs> I'd be Great. happy to talk to anybody about just about any concern that they might have. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your service to our community and your great work in really serving the children of the state and the citizens of the state. We're so grateful to you. Thank you very much for throwing your hat in the ring so that people have an option and an opportunity to be represented by a Republican and a conservative. And we're very thankful for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have Thank a beautiful you for the day. invitation. Yes. Thank you, Lyle. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, well, moving on, we are so excited to have our state treasurer join us today. His name is Marlo Oaks, and Marlo has, he's actually, he was elected by the state central committee to fill this position, and then he's actually running for re-election right now, although it doesn't seem like it to me. It probably does to him. <laughs> We're really happy to have Marlo with us. I feel so very grateful that Marlo is in this position, and I think that as the state central, I am a member of the state central committee, and I think we did do well. We were very wise in our choice. We voted for Marlo because of his expertise, his great knowledge and understanding and ability to do a great job as our treasurer and make sure that our state would be um, really secure in our finances, and he has proven to be a very, very wise choice. And I'm also impressed at how courageous he's been at standing up and educating us. So I was really happy that Marlo could be on today with us because he has a lot of really, really important information to share with us that really will impact us, not not just our state, but us personally. So welcome, Marlo. Oh, thanks, Delane. It's great to be here. Thank you. So how have you enjoyed being uh, the state treasurer so far, Marlo? Uh, it's, been, it's been wonderful. Um, it's oh. been a lot of... Uh, a lot of unexpected uh, things and, and uh, you know, a lot of things that I was expecting, but uh, couldn't, couldn't really anticipate, but um, it's, it's been, it's been excellent so far. Oh, I'm so glad that you've enjoyed it. So tell us, you have been really very outspoken about an issue that has really not just hit our state, but hit the nation ESG. So why don't you introduce that, that, what, how you got involved, how you knew about it. And what has happened since you've been treasurer? Yeah, so I, when I had been on the job for just a couple of weeks, started hearing about banks boycotting fossil fuel companies. It was really West Virginia that, that raised the concern. Um, and I started, I started looking into it a little bit. But then it was um, our attorney general's office who asked me about a Department of Labor proposed rule to allow an ESG fund as a default option in retirement plans that really concerned me um, because, you know, as I started looking at ESG, I, I recognized that, that this was a, um, a political rating and it was being used to drive uh, behavior in the capital markets and the more I looked at it, the more concerned I, I became. Um, so there are, there are different um, values-based investment strategies. And really the two primary ones are socially responsible investing and impact investing. And socially responsible investing has been around the longest. It's, it's the idea that an investor will avoid investing in companies or industries that they 
uh, disagree with or don't want to participate in. So tobacco, firearms, gambling, those are, those are fairly common. Um, and then impact investing is the other uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum where an investor is looking for something proactively to invest in to find a solution to a problem that is important to them. So if cancer, for example, if, if an investor is interested in finding cures for cancer, they would be actively looking for uh, therapies or, or other solutions to that, that problem. So it's really funding innovation. Um, ESG is neither of those. It really grew out of socially responsible investing, the idea that you avoid investing in, in industries and companies. But what it's turned into is um, engagement with companies and the market to change behavior, to, to, to really force a political outcome. It's, it's, it's economic force to drive a political agenda is, is how I describe it. And, and that's very problematic because what we're seeing today is, is large uh, pools of capital that are trying to uh, drive an agenda. And they do this through economic force in a lot of cases. So they will, um, for example, there, there's, a, there's a document or a group called UNPRI, and they're not part of the UN, but they're supported by the UN. And there are around over 3,000 financial services companies that have signed on to this and basically pledged not to do business with um, the fossil fuel industry. And these large pools of capital are, uh, are threatening um, uh, investment managers, telling them they better sign on and they're not going to do business with them. Um, and, and so um, insurance companies are kind of the next target. Uh, we have a, a co-op um, power producer here in the state of Utah that was recently their insurance company called them and said, we are no longer going to underwrite automobile insurance for your fleets because uh, your power is coal-based. Um, and, and so we are literally seeing um, a, a tool that is used in conflict, which is economic uh, you know, it's like economic um, weaponry uh, being used Americans against Americans. Um, it, it, it feels as if we've we've declared war on ourselves. And I think a lot of people who initially thought, okay, ESG, you know, it's it's innocuous, and you know, go ahead and do it if you if you want to. Um, they didn't re- realize or don't realize the weaponization component of ESG, because in order to drive an outcome, you have to have a lot of capital thinking the same way and acting the same way. And so it changes the market. Um, So you think about our pluralistic institutions in the United States, really the United States, that's one of the foundational concepts, the the constitution um, with our, three branches of government and checks and balances, right? We're trying to uh, eliminate power consolidating into any one area 
um, and, and driving an agenda, right? That, that, that's a very foundational American idea. The markets, free market capitalism, is probably the most pluralistic institution that we have because you have so many different players in the, in the market, all with different ideas and different concepts. And that's why you have buying and selling of the same commodity or the same you know, security because people take different views of the future. ESG changes that and says there's only one acceptable outcome, and that is to cut off fossil fuel, for example, or to, you know, in the social realm, um, there's, you know, implementing DEI in corporations. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's this group think. It's essentially like replacing our two-party political system with one political view uh, and, and pushing it through the capital markets. It's incredibly dangerous and is destroying our free market capitalism and are uh, potentially undermining the constitutional Republican form of government that we have because it bypasses the legislative process to drive a political agenda. So well stated, Marlo. I really appreciate everything you said. It's and so courageous of you to, to speak out. I think one thing that we as Republicans have been very, we just have done a pathetic job, frankly, no job at all, on educating our children and educating our citizenry on the difference between the free market, the free enterprise system, capitalism, and crony capitalism. And in a nutshell, I consider the free market, the free enterprise system is a system of, it's a win-win. It's a free exchange of value, of equal value, both both benefit with equal value exchange of our own free will without manipulation and it has to have a moral foundation this nation was founded on a moral foundation the only way we could govern ourselves was based on having a moral compass and the free market is based on a moral foundation having morality and a free open exchange of of equal value then you move on to capitalism which is just making money it's simplified version, just that I will create a product or a service, sell it to you. You get to decide if you want to buy it or not, but it's based on not necessarily a moral foundation, but just on making money, making profit. But then we have moved to the crony capitalist, which crony capitalism is willing to, there's no, there's no moral compass involved at all. And there is no equal exchange. It's like, I am willing to do anything for power and money, even if it is at the expense of my customers and my employees. And I think that is what you're really talking about here is a lot of crony capitalism. And yet it's being labeled as free market. And so our young people are thinking, oh, we hate free market because it's giving us the effects of crony capitalism. And they we're not distinguishing between those three. And so it's giving people a very false sense of what the free market is. And so they're thinking, well, socialism is surely better. But what they're saying is socialism is better than crony capitalism. They're yeah. really, and what you're saying is there's not that much of a difference, frankly. No, that's right. And in fact, it's probably just another form of crony capitalism, right? It is, um, yeah, absolutely is. Yes. Yeah. And, and it really is undermining our freedoms. Um, it, in my mind, it is the greatest threat to our freedoms today without question Um, because if we adopt ESG it will replace our our free markets and and the free markets are really um, the ability to 
to choose uh, freely how we how we interact economically with each other, right? Nobody nobody is forcing us to buy anything or sell anything. Um, we voluntarily enter into transactions to do business. Now with with ESG, it's saying you can't do business with certain businesses, right? Because they're behaving badly. So, you know, I talk about how it's a political score and, and really to, to prove that you just have to look and say, what is subjective about it? The, the ESG factors themselves, who's, who's determining what the factors are is one level of subjectivity. And then number two is who's determining what the correct answer is to those factors, um, and they can be politicized one way or the other. So, you know, imagine if um, if uh, the Republicans take over uh, government and then they decide, okay, in order for uh, businesses to um, operate in the United States, they have to support um, pro-life uh, or make pro-life donations to organizations. I, I would be against that just the same because it's politicizing our capital markets. We need to we need to have neutral capital markets, no politics, or at least um, you know not in the capital markets themselves. Those should be free from politics. If companies companies are welcome to engage in the political process, but they should not be driving the political process. And that's what we're seeing today. Um, and and it's hard to see exactly where the pressure points are coming from, but. Um, you know, the left, the hard left was very, uh, uh, very calculated uh, in, in uh, recognizing that money is power. And if they could capture the centers of money, then they could drive an agenda through the economy. And that's what they've done. And so while we look at um, companies and say, oh, they're, they're adopting ESG, in a lot of uh, cases, we don't see behind that who is putting pressure on them and and that's these pockets of money um that that are are driving the agenda and colluding essentially um around this one concept it's incredibly dangerous you know it is so dangerous well said and i think what we all need to look at is is we might tend to think it won't affect us but but as you said, like, who is determining? I think that is the most important question there. Who determines if what your business is doing is good or evil? Who gets to decide? They say, well, you're, you're doing something that we don't like, and so we decided it's bad. Who gets to determine that? And, um, and, and so we might not all agree on what is good and what is bad or what is a, a business that we want to engage in or business that, that we don't think should be out there. And that's where the free market is so valuable and essential is because the free market will get rid of, if there is not a need for that, there's not a call for it. People will basically put it out of business by not being consumers of it. That's right. And so we, there's, there's a lot of talk about a transition to net zero, but Mm -hmm. what are we transitioning to? We don't have we don't have an alternative right now. I mean, nuclear is an alternative, but people don't seem to want that. Uh, okay, then. Well, some then, people don't. Well, some people don't, right? Yeah, a lot of I people. Mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's an alternative. That's a clean, perfectly clean, viable solution. Very clean, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, if you, if, if, if we've decided that that's not an alternative, then what is the alternative? So to talk of a transition plan is completely premature because we're not transitioning to anything. It's, it's, um, you know, we're, we're driving our car off the cliff without any destination we're going to, right? I mean, it's, it is insane. Yeah. There is no alternative and it's something you want to transition to something, then you're, working your way over to something that you've already decided you wanted to have. But um, so Marlo, or I should probably call you Mr. Oaks. I apologize. Oh, you're fine. So <laughs> what, what can we as consumers, what can we do about it? Well, I, I think there's, uh, you know, there's a few things that we can do. Number one is, is we've got to, um, we've got to stand up and tell companies not to politicize the capital markets to not adopt ESG um, that you don't want your money, like with your retirement money, reaching out to those who oversee your retirement money and making sure that it's not with an investment manager that is politicizing the capital markets or is driving an agenda. Even if it's not an ESG strategy um, that, that your money is in, what happens is these large investment managers are using the voice of all the money that they have under management, even though a small amount of it is ESG related, they're acting as if the entire market is ESG or their entire uh, clientele is wanting ESG. And so they're driving the agenda uh, with that voice of all that money. Um, and so I'm, I'm very concerned about um, companies like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, um, that own massive amounts of of publicly traded companies in in this country that are using our money against us, um, and we've got to make it very clear to those companies that we do not want that, and and move our money if if we can to an alternative. Um, and and then the other thing that I tell people is if you're going to stop doing business with a company, tell them why you're not doing business with a company. Um, and conversely, if there are companies that are not politicized uh, and, and you appreciate that, let them know and let them know that you want them to stay neutral um, because businesses are, are there to serve society uh, with their product or service, not a political agenda. And we've got to make it clear that we appreciate those companies uh, for doing that, you know. And I, I, I applaud Disney, who recently came out and said we're we're getting out of politics. Um, you know, that's how they kind of got in trouble. Was they said we're not going to get involved in politics, and then one side went after them because they wanted them to get political, and then the other side went after them for getting political. <laughs> and they just you don't win that way. Um, and so hopefully. Hopefully they are uh, getting out of politics. We'll see, you know, um, but that's, that's a case where people can be watching closely and, and uh, letting Disney know or other companies uh, how you feel. Um, so that's important. The other strategy that um, is, is uh, maybe a little bit more uh, work is to actually buy stock of a company that you're concerned about, show up at the shareholder meeting and start asking questions. <laughs> to drive, you know, to let them know what you think. Well, then you have a seat at the table. You have That's a right. 
That's exactly right. Yeah, that's very smart. That's a really great idea. So I think those are two really great suggestions is that let a company know that you're doing business with, why you're doing business with them, and you appreciate it if they're a, a good, honorable company. And if they're starting to go off, then uh, let them know, this is concerning me. I don't want to do business with a company that's become so political. I want you to be a business. I want political organizations to do politics and you to be a business. And that's right. um, yeah, that's a great idea. It's just buy stock in a company that you want to impact and influence. Yes. And share your yeah. perspective. Yeah. And the other thing um, that might be helpful is for um, listeners to go out and look at uh, you and, oh, sorry. Is there... I'm so sorry. We are out of time. I hate oh, to okay. cut you off. And so everybody be sure and listen to Mr. Oaks. Again, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And remember that you are the guardian of your liberty. Thank you for joining us. 